this is Sydney and Sierra and this is the Living Within Stigma podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a vulnerable conversation surrounding mental health for people of color. We vow to you and ourselves to be present and authentic. Together, we will create a space of hope. Everybody, welcome back. Hello, everybody. Hey. So today we have a very special guest. Her <laughs> name is Dee Dee, and we initially actually met through Instagram. Yes. In this era, you know, it's amazing. You can meet people that you <laughs> you know normally meet, and so we, we actually Sydney is also Dee Dee. She's also from the DMV area, so oh, cool. we all have that in common. <laughs> And um, Didi, if you don't mind, just like telling the guest who you are and a little yes. bit about yourself. So my name is Didi. Um, I am a nurse within the DMV. I'm an operating room nurse. Um, I am, you know, that question is always so interesting. Like, <laughs> tell us about yourself. It's always weird, but right. I'm a nurse <laughs> in a DMV area. I'm a sister. I'm a friend. I'm a daughter. Um, um, I'm an extroverted introvert. <laughs> um, I'm a person who likes to have fun, who likes to meet new people. Um, what else can I tell y'all about myself? I have a passion for all things hair and beauty and poetry. Um, I love nature. I love food. I'm a major foodie and I'm always down for an adventure. Love that. And I just thought of something. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I actually, before we met on Instagram, I watched your YouTube videos. Like when I was in the process of like getting my locks and everything. Oh, wow. <laughs> I watched your videos a lot. So <laughs> I forgot to mention, I'm also a YouTuber. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, cool. That's dope. That's dope. Thank you for watching. Yes. Of course. So how did you, you mentioned a lot about your career in nursing. Um, if you could just tell us a little bit, a, a little bit about your journey um, and how you got on that path. Yes. So, um, growing up, I always thought I wanted to be something like creative. Like I, I always knew that I had a creative side, but you know, as a first generation African American, like an African that's in America, <laughs> technically, yeah. um, it's just not, it's unheard of, you know, to do arts or to do something creative. So that was a no growing up. And it's just now that I'm like coming back to that side of myself, but I had very limited options. You know, you're either a doctor, a lawyer, you're doing something medical, something very like up there, you know, you just can't be according to them mediocre. And now that art is mediocre, but that's their belief as immigrants yeah and it's, it's it sucks but it's the reality but um I've always thought I wanted to be like a politician maybe a journalist or something and then the more I started exploring my options the more I realized that I've, I really love medicine and science so in high school we did I had a program 
um, called the Biomedical Sciences Program, and I was a part of that, and I got a chance to shadow NIH and do a bunch of cool things with science and medicine, and just nursing was just one of those things that naturally came to me. Granted, I didn't know all of my options. I wasn't aware of all the things that I could possibly pursue, but it's just that one thing that I just kind of settled on and realized, okay, I think I want to be a nurse. And my journey was kind of strenuous, honestly. Um, I started off at um, Hood College, and I realized, like I said, I'm, I'm also a first-generation college-goer. Like, my parents didn't really go to school, so being the first woman in my family to actually go to school and get a degree, I started off at Hood College. I didn't know anything about accreditation about financial aid I just kind of went for the first school that offered me a lot of money and that didn't work out quickly I transferred to Bowie just to realize that Bowie didn't have any sort of accreditation for nursing and then I went to Towson and come to find out I know it it gets even better (laughs) the program at Towson was so rigorous that I had a 3.2 but I still didn't get into the program and I remember my uh my advisor was just telling me it was actually me and another friend who were pursuing the same degree but my advisor was just like oh well you should give up you know you probably like nursing probably just isn't for you it's not for you know the week or like you know just you have to have good academics and I'm thinking to myself I thought a 3.2 was good but sis is telling me to quit and I wasn't ready to quit so then I applied to one more school which is Bowie State University and I actually got in And I was so excited that, you know, God was opening up this door for me that I just went, you know, headfirst for it. And I ended up finishing the program despite all of my obstacles. And I found a job as an operating room nurse, which was also really random. Um, And here I am today. Wow. Wow. (laughs) I want to say, Didi, your story is inspiring to me and I'm sure to others just in that it's so, and I'll be, don't take this the wrong way, imperfect in that it wasn't an easy process and it wasn't straightforward. I feel like so many college students, like they expect you to go to college, you get an internship, but we have this like mindset that things are just supposed to be this step-by-step. You you declare major and everything's supposed to go to plan and then you get a job as soon as you graduate. And that is not the reality of it. That doesn't happen. It's difficult. It's hard. You get rejected. People are telling you not to do it. And the fact that you, you know, you kept on going, you pursued it. And then here you are today, a nurse that inspires me and I'm sure so many others. So thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Um, (laughs) Of course. I did want to ask you a question about like the nursing life. So this season also is our Black History Month season about trauma. And Mm -hmm. so we've been talking a little bit about about trauma this season. So with being a African-American nurse, I'm sure there is lots of different things that you probably encounter and see. What are yes. some of the microaggressions? Like we're talking about trauma. So what are some of the microaggressions that you might see in the workplace, have experienced or anything like that? <laughs> Man, <laughs> I have stories. Um, let's just start by saying like what you said earlier about not knowing what you're really getting yourself into and people just kind of thinking like your career path is this linear, easy road is definitely 100% true. Another thing that we're not always prepared for is the actual work field. So like you finish school, you get your degree, now what? Like, you know, I feel like being taught how to function in a work environment that's mainly led by, you know, I'm not trying to sound like 
crazy that by, by led by people who don't look like you, who aren't of the same complexion or, you know, heritage as you, it's kind of interesting. Like, that's one thing that's really important for me because when I finished school, I had no clue what the workforce was really going to entail. And in terms of trauma and microaggression, I dealt with a lot of that. And I, I don't feel like I was equipped to know exactly how to maneuver any of the situations that I was put in. Perfect example is in the healthcare field, you notice that some of the floors, like, and by floors, I mean like different units. There's ICU units, which is intensive care. There's med surge, there's operating room. And some of the units, you notice that the type of people who work on the units don't necessarily work, look like you. So for example, the ICU unit in one of the facilities that I initially thought I wanted to work at when I shadowed, I realized that I was like one of four African-Americans on the entire unit, which was crazy to me. And when you did see an African-American, they were usually like, you know, custodians or the servers for food services, et cetera. And that always kind of just, you know, stuck out to me personally. And in terms of a personal story about microaggression, I have plenty, but I'll spare you guys. The one that kind of made the most impact on me personally was at a facility that I was working at earlier last year. The floor is actually, like my unit was really diverse, surprisingly. However, most of the leaders didn't look like me. The people in power, people in leadership didn't look exactly like me. And one of the things that, um, kind of hit me was during lunch break one day um, I was in a lounge the lunch lounge with a bunch of my coworkers, and one of my coworkers, she's Caucasian was talking about our president or Trump visiting um, Buckingham Palace to see Meghan Markle and in the prince and in a in an interview um, the comment was that Trump said that Meghan Markle was a nasty woman or something offensive to that nature. And I remember just hearing that and seeing that he had to actually go to the palace and greet them. And I was just, and this was after she got married to him. And I was like, you know what, look at that. Look how like, you know, the script is now flipped. He's nasty. He's a nasty human being. And I had a coworker who always rubbed me the wrong way, but I couldn't necessarily understand why her energy and her interactions were always so off. I kind of avoided her. She's an older woman of Cuban descent. And um, she comes around the corner during the lunchroom after I made that comment in response to what my other coworker was saying. And she immediately looks at me. She's like standing over, over me. I'm sitting at the lunch table eating and she's looking over me. My managers are there, the unit director is there. And she just looks at me and goes, well, you know, Didi, if you don't like it, you can always go back to your own country. No. And this was at this, yes. She said, you can go back where wow. you come from. And I was in disbelief that she would say something like this to me. And professional me was like, all right, keep it together. Just read her to filth in the most professional way ever. Ratchet me was like, yo, she's about to find out who she's dealing with. But exactly. I think I met somewhere, <laughs> I met somewhere in the middle and I kind of looked at her and I said, don't you ever fix your lips to speak to me this way ever again. And I was just shocked that my managers didn't, nobody said anything. It was like, there was crickets in a room. I was so upset. And when I'm, when I'm upset and I, I hate this about myself, I cry. Like I started crying and I left the lunchroom and I was so upset that I let her see that portion of me that was so, you know, so taken back by what she said. 
that's just one of so many instances like coworkers who come in and say really crazy racial things or another instance which was during the black lives matter movement last year i think it was like august or august to october i don't remember the exact month but i remember when um the black lives matter movement was occurring and people were you know looting and breaking into things and just showing their frustrations in different ways i don't necessarily agree but i also do understand the frustration and how people have a right to express themselves whichever way they want to and i remember going to work and we were i was we were doing a case a, a surgical case and one of my coworkers came in to start cleaning up the materials because the case was finishing to put him back away. And the coworker was black, like they're just like me, they're black. And they came in, they were putting things away. And one of the physicians in the room literally goes, hey, stop looting our stuff. You know, we thought you were better than your peers, like thinking he's funny, but really the situation wasn't funny. And immediately I was like, I don't think that's a funny joke. And you have no clue who you're offending in this room. But in terms of microaggression in a healthcare field, it happens amongst peers. It happens with physicians to patients. It happens in every single realm. And it's unfortunate because we're in a field where people's lives are in our hands, you know? So you would think the integrity and the character of the people working within this field would be, you know, immaculate, but it's not always that case, you know? So yeah, that's my experience. My wow. job is dropped. My job. <laughs> I'm pressed, like hearing it and knowing that this is like the work environment that you have to be in. But wow. Yeah. And it's it's crazy because, you know, people people are so fearful of, I don't know, kind of speaking, speaking up against stuff like this because there's so much politics in the healthcare field also. Right. Yeah. Like the people who are above you don't always look like you and you have no clue what they favor. So you always want to be politically correct. You don't want to speak out against anybody, which I learned the hard way. Um, you, you just want to be very neutral and very respectful, even when you're not always being treated that way. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's difficult at times, but you know, it's not always bad. So I don't want to make it seem that way. Right. And so I have a question um, to follow up after that. Like, do you feel like when you go home, do you feel like, I know it may not be the same every day, but do you feel like you have, you take that home or are you able to like kind of leave all that at the hospital and go home and do, you know, have <laughs> mine? <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, I remember when you told me that you wanted me to do this podcast and I was like, wow, this is so on beat with what I'm going through. Um, I've been trying to become a more mindful and like, you know, more spiritual, like I believe in God and I pray, but my spirituality level isn't necessarily as mature as it should be. So I think in the past couple of months, I've realized more and more that I need to just listen to myself and my body. Like I, I suffer from anxiety in, in the healthcare field. My anxiety has just been through the roof. So and and also I've realized I think I'm an empath because things things impact me on an emotional level that other people can naturally just roll off their shoulders. So in terms of your question, I'm working on it. Like when I come home sometimes I do carry 
the different interactions I've had with people on my shoulders. Like it, it, the incident I told you about the lady telling me to go back to my country, I had to quit that job because that work environment was just so toxic for me. Most of my interactions just kind of felt like verbal abuse. Um, It kind of felt like I was allowing myself to be trampled over because I wanted to be politically correct. And, you know, you want to be liked so you can climb, you know, your corporate ladder and whatever. You want to make a good impression. You want to be good at what you do, but you also have to be likable in order to be able to do, to do so. So I was struggling between that and also just kind of standing in my truth and realizing that a lot of my interactions, whether if it's me feeling bad or empathy for a patient, whether if it's me being upset because of something a coworker said or did, just something. I always carried so much of that in my heart and I would find myself crying or being upset or being in a foul mood. And it, it does impact me sometimes. And I know it's better said, it's easier said than done, but I am working on just leaving it at the door. Like once I leave a facility, a building, a situation, a unit, I, I do try to leave it there. But Sometimes you can't help but just kind of think about, oh, that patient who's going through a hard time, or why is that coworker, you know, interacting with you inappropriately, et cetera. So yeah, it's it's definitely hard, but I do try and I'm working on it on this spiritual journey that I'm on. So yeah. I love that. Love that for you. And I'm glad <laughs> you are on that journey. That's amazing. Cause I think for everyone, like when it comes to spirituality, it's a, it's a never ending. There's no end of the road. There's no into it. It's just constant, like always just, you know, tapping into higher and higher and higher, you know? Yeah. So that's amazing. So one more question about that and then we'll hop on to something else. But (laughs) people that are listening that may also be in high stress work environments. And so do you have any like, tips or like coping strategies like is there anything that you do um just in your day-to-day that helps you manage (laughs) um like I said I'm working on it before um I I was a an emotional eater and and that that that's short-lived I would not recommend that to anybody I should know better as a healthcare professional but that's how I've coped almost my entire life and I didn't realize what I was doing until recently, until this pandemic hit, and I had to be more aware of myself and my habits and my practices. And as of late, what I've been trying to do in order to decompress, I picked up um, a skill of learning how to do my own nails. So like, if I just want to decompress and take it easy, sometimes I'll come home and I'll just do my nails. I'll give myself a mani-pedi. I'll paint my nails. I'll do, you know, all that stuff. Or I'll do a facial for myself. I bought myself a a steamer. um, Or I listen to podcasts. I love listening to Super Soul um, with Oprah, learning about the ego and your spiritual self. Just different things help me decompress. Like if I know that I'm immediately upset from work or something, maybe on a ride home, I'll listen to a crime junkie podcast or some gospel on my way home. Or sometimes it's just as simple as venting to somebody who's willing to listen like you know and not always venting because that can get emotionally draining for the other party but definitely having a chance to just say how you're feeling without bias or judgment to like a very neutral party those kind of things help me all the time yes it's giving self-care and I love that for you (laughs) (laughs) 
I love that. And I feel like this, that's so important as well. Like, like you said, listening to yourself, listening to your body. Sometimes you just have to do what makes you feel good. Like for another example, how you left the environment that you did not feel safe in. You have to know what is best for you. And some people probably have told you to not leave and to stick it out and tough it out. Oh my gosh. What is best. You knew what was best for you and you did what you had to do. So I applaud you for that. And for, like you said, your journey, it's, it's never going to be like, you don't just go on your journey and you just end it. It's all, it's ever going. You're always learning more always. about yourself. And, and you know, and, yeah. no, go ahead. Go you ahead. know what's crazy? What? When I was just like what you said, when you said, oh, they probably told you not to leave. Oh, they definitely did. Like, <laughs> I'm sure. I remember, <laughs> I, remember I, I, I put in my two weeks at the end of February and the first or second week of March is when the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. and my manager was like you're gonna regret this you know we're not perfect but I think you should stay the pandemic is about to hit how are you gonna survive financially don't you need health care this that like she tried every single thing that she could possibly try and threw it all at me and I was like you know what I woke up this morning and realized that I just can't like I literally physically and mentally just can't bring myself to return to this place so yes this is two weeks <laughs> so yeah, they tried. I love that. I really do. That's that's bravery, like you said, in a pandemic. And look, you're still here and you have another yeah. job. So Yeah. <laughs> but um so you mentioned a lot about your other like hobbies, about like self care and painting your nails and your steamer. What are some of your other passions outside of medicine? I love YouTube. Um I film YouTube videos and I post mainly about my hair um, when outside was open. I would post travel videos, just whatever I felt like filming and talking about, I like, you know, decided to do. Um, so I do my YouTube videos. I definitely love just kind of like, I, I like hosting people and hanging out with friends. And so that's something that I tend to do sometimes just to kind of, you know, just to debrief and just to what's the word, de-stress myself, hang out with people. Most of my friends are really goofy. So I know I'm going to be having like a lot of belly laughs and just like silliness. So that's always something that I love to do. And I I have like 13 nieces and nephews. So whenever I need my dose of like kid fun, I just go pick up my nieces and nephews or go to my sister's house and hang out with them. So those are some other passions. Oh, and I love to write. I like to journal and write poetry. So those are some of the things that I do. Not that I share them necessarily, but um, yeah, I do those things too. Cool. Awesome. Those are good things to good passions. We are. So like, definitely we want to talk a little bit more about your YouTube one. And also, well, they're really combined because you mentioned how you would do like, you know, vlogs and like travel um, videos and stuff like that. So how like, now we're in a pandemic. I know like a lot of people who are like, travelers like I don't consider my I've traveled you know but I don't consider myself like a traveler not yet but for you like I feel like you are you would consider like a traveler like how are you like how are you doing I know that I saw that you took like a didn't you do like a road trip I think like a solo trip yes so how was that (laughs) that was uh that was interesting I never thought that I would have the kahunas to do so but I did it 
Um, I think sometime last year in November, I just finished my local travel contract because I'm a travel nurse right now, a local travel nurse. And I finished a contract and I decided that I just needed a break, like a mental break, a breather. And I've always wanted to go to um, San Francisco. I don't know if you guys watched the show um, Big Little Lies on HBO. I absolutely love that show. But I discovered Monterey, California through that show. And I just realized how beautiful it was. And in my head, I was like, you know what? I just have to go there. <laughs> I like started doing research. I started talking to other people who've been there and they're just like, oh yeah, it's beautiful. And I couldn't get anybody to go with me. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to stifle my own experience because people can't go with me. So I'm just going to take my first solo trip and make it happen and use it as a moment of clarity to just kind of sit with myself and enjoy my own company. Cause I do enjoy my own company a lot. So that was interesting. One, like I told y'all earlier, I listened to a lot of crime junkies. So I was very scared. I was like, uh oh, somebody's gonna capture me and sell me into sex trafficking. Like I was very scared and my anxiety was running wild. But once I got there safe and once I got the lay of the land, I kind of just settled into it and it was it was so good because I was able to do things on my own time. If I wanted to go somewhere and sightsee, I could do it. If I wanted to eat something specific, I could do so. If I wanted to sleep in or wake up early and go on an adventure, I did whatever I pleased. So it was it was very, very interesting. And I did a lot of self-reflection, a lot of self-reflection. So that was that was really good for me. I have always wanted to do a solo trip. I think I need to do one soon. I've always wanted to do one. That sounds like such fun just to be like with yourself. Yes. I find a lot of people are scared to sit with their thoughts and do like mm-hmm. be on a solo trip. But I feel like that is like the perfect place to like truly get to know yourself and to like yes. make true adjustments and growth like in your spiritual journey, your life journey, your mental journey, and any journey that you're on. I feel like that's yeah. so essential. As long as you're safe and yes. as long as you're open to experiences, you should be fine. Because I met a lot of cool people like that. I didn't even think I didn't think I would be talking to anybody. But everywhere I went, I was having a conversation with somebody. So it was always interesting to notice that people are just when they see that you're by yourself, they just kind of gravitate and talk to you like, oh, are you in town by yourself? You know, not giving too much information where you can get kidnapped. But, you know, just kind of like people sharing like you should go here, you should do this or we're going to go down to blah, blah, blah tomorrow. You should, you know, go there and hopefully we'll run into each other there. Like stuff like that was pretty cool to me. Oh, I love that. That sounds so cool. Yeah. yeah that's so nice. Like, it just, like there's still nice people in the world. I know. Yes. Good to yes. be nice people in the world. If you don't mind me asking, where else have you tried? I like to travel myself. I've been, I don't know if I consider myself a traveler, but I feel like I've traveled to a few you are. places. <laughs> <laughs> where else have you traveled to? Um, just overall. Yeah, I mean, you I do have, your top play, favorites, I guess. Oh, I don't have any top favorites. <laughs> I feel like I have yet to be, uh, you know what? My top favorite is Greece. I loved Greece. Greece and, and I loved France. Although I was very shocked by my, I thought I was going to love Italy. So I did a Euro trip, like, I want to say three years ago with my boyfriend. And I thought that Italy was just going to be like that place for me. And it wasn't because of so much racism and microaggression and you know weird vibes from people in Rome but 
no, France was definitely interesting for me. I loved France. I loved the vibe. I just love the culture and how easygoing people are. And I definitely love Greece. Greece was absolutely beautiful. People there are just, they, they can just be. Like, there's no facade. There's no weird vibes. People are just doing them and just being. And it's a beautiful thing to see. But um, I've also been to Puerto Rico. And Puerto Rico was last year. I went there for my birthday with a couple of friends. And then the earthquake that everybody was so afraid of hit while we were there. But it was just, the, the friend, like, the friend groups that I have are just so amazing that we just made the best out of it. Like, we made songs. We, like, had a bonfire. We grilled. Even though there was no electricity, we were, like, just having the time of our lives. So it was definitely interesting um, to do. But those are, yeah, I want to say top three is going to be France, Greece, and Puerto Rico. I absolutely love those three places. Love that's that. cool. I'm not, you're making like now I'm like, oh, I have to go to Greece because that is <laughs> so beautiful to see, you know? Yeah. So, would you ever consider like actually relocating and living out of the country? Yeah. In your childhood? Okay. If I could convince, I tell my boyfriend all the time that whether he's coming or not, I'm going to leave him and just go by myself. But if I can convince him to live abroad with me somewhere for a year, even just six months, it would be a perfect, perfect thing for me. Because I feel like in the U.S., we get so narrow-minded. We live in this, like, bubble where we don't realize that there's so much more to life than the day-to-day grind. Like, in places like France and Italy, they, like, for lunch, they shut down for, like, an hour to two hours to just go relax. And on Sundays, they close things early. And just mentality is just different. You know, we we definitely enjoy some luxuries here that other people don't around the world. Like I'm definitely grateful for that, but I feel like living somewhere abroad for even it, honestly, even if it was just taking something as simple as a different state, that would be interesting for me. Cause even though I was born in my country, I'm, I'm from Togo. I don't remember Togo. And all I know is Maryland. Like that's, this is the only place I've ever lived in my entire life. So even if it's living in a different state, that would be interesting for me. I would love to do that. Yes, that is another, that's a goal of mine too. I was actually supposed to study abroad in Barcelona um, in August, but the pandemic. So that, so I don't even know if it's going to happen because it doesn't look like this is getting any better anytime soon. But I still, even without the, like, if it's not school related, I still definitely is on my goal to live somewhere for at least six months. I don't even care where, just like you said, like it's just a great experience just to be in a different place that's not where you live or are from and just experience how yeah. you experience life there see new things get to experience life yeah um, I did have another question about travel so you mentioned in I think you said Italy that you didn't like it because of the microaggressions and like yes. the racism what were your since again we're talking about trauma what were some of those experiences like and if it wasn't just in Italy where else or what experience have you had with Man. traveling and microaggressions and traumas the main place honestly was Italy Everywhere else has been okay. Their people are cool, welcoming. And if they're not welcoming, they're just like, okay, there goes the tourists. Like they're not really, they don't really care. They're indifferent either way. But in Italy, the experience was just tainted for me. 
and when I speak to my peers, a lot of them say it's because I was in Rome, which is very touristy. Um, because my experience when I left Rome, we went to Sorrento. We were trying to go to the Amalfi Coast, unsuccessful, but um, that's a different story. Um, but yeah, my experience in Rome versus my experience in Sorrento was different. In Rome, we were doing a recording. I was filming my outfit of the day um, for my YouTube channel. And this lady just that was staying in the same building at us just kept coming back and forth in and out of the building into my shot. And it got to a point where we just kind of paused recording for her to just do whatever she was doing. And she goes back into her apartment. It's like a condo apartment type of building that we were staying in. It was an Airbnb. And she goes back into her apartment, comes back out. We're like in the middle of like the lounge um, trying to get shots and videos. And she comes around a corner and she has her trash with her. And I swear to you guys, maybe this was by accident. She smacks me with it. Like my whole backside just smacks me with it. And as I'm like, excuse me, she just keeps walking. Doesn't even like turn around to apologize, nothing. And another incident, we were trying to go, it, this was the day after, we're trying to go to Sorrento because I wanted to do a backpacking trip, like a mini backpacking trip to the Amalfi Coast from Rome. And we're on our way to um, go to the Amalfi Coast and we decide that we want to stop at a bakery just to eat, get some breakfast, whatever. And when we get to the bakery, I was asking if we could like dine in because I saw people like there, there are these like tall tables. People were just standing and eating and it was just breezy and beautiful. And I was like, wow, this is like perfect. Like, let's just stand here, eat our food, have some coffee and go. And when I wanted to dine in, the guy was like, oh, that's going to be an additional charge for you guys to dine in. And I'm like, why? We purchased the food. We just want to stand here, eat really quickly and then catch our train and the guy at the bakery insisted that we had to pay but then when we were leaving other American tourists were like we didn't have to pay anything and they just didn't understand why but things like that like you just kind of notice stares people asking you weird questions about your hair like because I had locks or I currently have locks again because I'm indecisive as heck but um I had locks so people would just stare at you and just make weird comments or ask you stupid questions about your hair or it's just, it's, it's, the vibes were just really different. And, you know, sometimes you can't really put your hand on, like, what exactly is going on. Like, you know something's off, but it's just not blatant. And you can't tell why there's hostility or why there's discomfort. But it, I definitely was not comfortable in Italy at all. Wow. Yeah. I, my yeah. thought is literally, like, on the floor. Like, literally. <laughs> not her throwing her trash on like that is just wow I can't believe people are yeah. still and as you're talking about it like I actually thought of the experience that I've had some you can't quite put your finger on it but it's like definitely so one time something's my, wrong yes me and my aunt walked into like I think it was like a little winery and we walked in it's a pretty small it was like pretty small store we walked in literally every like we were looking at the menu outside on the door because they had like the different wands on the door and everybody mm -hmm. inside it's glass they just started looking at us from inside from where standing outside and we're like okay <laughs> so then we're like like can we you not <laughs> exactly like so should we go inside so we walk inside and literally like when I tell you all heads are like bent like oh it's probably like God. maybe 10 people in their total so it's a really small space maybe even like seven people oh everybody's heads were just like and it was silent like the conversations everybody's conversations went silent like, <laughs> the space was, was this in the u.s no this is in it was in europe 
Oh, it was in England God. in like a, it was like, it, I think it was called Padstow. It's like a little fish cove. I don't even know where it is to be. Honest. I really couldn't tell you, but it's like a really small town. But, that, and me and my aunt just looked at each other like, okay, let's just get our wine and get out of here because yeah. <laughs> it is, and it's like, we didn't really know. And then to put, make, to put, make matters worse. So it was told you it was a winery and we were buying wine and the lady was like showing the different wines or whatever and she was like would you prefer the wine from I don't remember where in Africa but she said this one's from Africa did you prefer this one and we were like did she just oh, say oh that <laughs> did she just say that because we're black I or just, did she oh my goodness. and I was like <laughs> I couldn't tell because maybe like they could have really good wine in Africa like she was saying like there's some from Italy this one's from Spain but then she specifically said did you prefer the one from from Africa we were just like Oh um, we just want some rosé and we can go we really don't care <laughs> like, we really don't i care. just want some bubbly like exactly but yeah it's those small things like that and it's like you don't want to you can't overreact but at the same time you definitely notice and if that keeps happening to you it definitely can make an impact on like no your it drives me crazy yeah these kind of things honestly drive me crazy because it's like what makes you think that you are better than me like what makes you think that you were even you know raised in better like you know just I don't know what what gives people this sense of superior superiority over other people like I I don't know I just can't I I can't (laughs) all right so we talked about all the microaggressions that we experience um in the workplace recreationally on trips um seems like we can't escape it sometimes but one thing that we really wanted to highlight in the season was not just the trauma but also the resilience that can come from some of these traumatic experiences and how you can kind of use them for good in in a sense um and just strengthening who you are um and so i guess like if you just wanted to share maybe even like your most resilient moment um either in your job like as a nurse or in travel or just whatever experience you can recall where you experience either like we said it could be a, something as small as a microaggression or you know the trauma spectrum is so big so however, however you know traumatic it was for you um and then if you can just recall like something positive that you were able to either discover about yourself or um just use for good in any way and just build that resilience so um, I want to say my entire life has been resilient. Like I just, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I've, I've told you guys snippets of my stories, but nursing school wasn't the first time I was told that I couldn't accomplish something that I set my mind to. And one thing about me, if I say I'm going to do it, I am going to do it. There's no one who's going to stop me. There's no one who's going to change my mind. And I mean, I'm not sure if it's just innate for me because that's the kind of family that I was brought up in or that's just how I am as a person by nature. Um, I'm a little stubborn, so maybe I use my stubbornness as a sense of resilience because nobody can tell me anything. Like, if I say I'm going to be a millionaire, I'm, I'm going to be a millionaire one way or another. So I guess I use people telling me that I can't do something is motivation to prove them wrong. Not necessarily them, because sometimes when people tell you, oh, you can't do something, you know, the voice in your head can kind of get messed up and have you believing that you really can't. And I guess 
when people try to tell me that I can't do something, like, for example, like, oh, you should quit on nursing, try a different major. The lady who told me that, my academic advisor was white, <laughs> telling an African-American girl, hey, even though you have this good GPA, you can't make it within this healthcare field. I used that as my motivation. I was like, oh, you won't take me? Well, I'm, I'll try somewhere else. And lo and behold, I got accepted. And the cherry on top was it was at an HBCU. So with me, it's just like, tell me I can't do something. I'll prove you three times wrong. So I guess that's just my way of being resilient. And also just understanding that what people see you as, what people's belief of who you are is, is not necessarily who you are internally. So somebody can speak limitations onto your life, but if you're grounded enough in your beliefs, you can always overcome. That's just my personal belief. So, yeah. It has been really an honor to talk to you today, Dee Dee. And we, again, we want to say thank you for being here and giving oh, your time to you. talk with us. We really appreciate it. Um, thank thank you, you. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, again, always don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Living Within Stigma and join our conversation. And thank you for being a part of this space of hope. Yes, and we will have Dee Dee's YouTube channel and her Instagram platform and everything in our show notes if you'd like to see everything she has going on in the future. Thank you guys for having me. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining. Bye.